Newspapers. Newspapers. They just can't get a break, Keith. Uh, what can you say? We are going to speculate this morning on what else we could be doing with the radio spectrum. See if there might be an idea there. And you can always count on the NAB to support the big guys and not the little guys in the broadcasting business. Good morning. We're back with another episode of Media Insultant, our opinions, comments, and ideas that we do each week on Tuesday and Friday. I'm typically in Seattle, but down in the Coachella Valley for this month, and my associate, Keith Samuels, is next door. He's in Southern California. Keith, good morning, buddy. Good morning, Jackson, and you're doing, you're rocking Coachella, baby. Well, and then we got Stagecoach coming up. I mean, there's oh, no end yeah. to the party time we're going to have here. <laughs> no end. All right, we would like to welcome you to this Friday, April 22nd episode of Media Insultant. I'm sure at some point you had an AOL account, right? And you remember, you, you did, didn't you? I might have. I've forgotten, but my wife still does. Okay. Well, yeah. remember when we first got the AOL accounts when you would dial up on your phone? You remember the sound of the modem hooking up to your computer? Oh, your yeah. Computer? That, that, that modem connection, uh, uh, you know, uh, screech. Signature. Yeah. Signature was just awesome. It was awesome. Well, I'll never forget it, yeah. Yeah, well, the reason I bring this up is back in the early 80s, I was um, having breakfast with an engineering buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Brent Sylvester. He was one of those very innovative, uh, quirky engineers, smoked too many cigarettes, uh, you know, ate too many cheeseburgers, but uh, just really a bright guy. One of those guys that used to populate the business. We don't see as many of them as we used to. Yeah. And we got to talking about what else we could do with AM radio. Because AM radio, even in the 80s, was on, was on the fade. And we came up with this idea of using AM radio to distribute computer software. And, you know, if you notice, most computers at that time used cassettes to record software. And we thought, well, we could hook up a radio receiver to a, to a cassette player. Cassette recorder would record it, and you'd be able to download the software that way. That screeching that you heard right. on the AOL is exactly what we would have we would have used. Well, and don't forget, this was pre-internet, pre-CD, pre-DVD. None of that stuff existed at the time. Well, nothing really ever came of it. But the reason I even bring it up is I discovered recently that there were a couple of stations in England who did just that. There were these guys who put on a Saturday morning show on a couple of UK stations. They would talk about the software and then they would download it on the air. And then the screech? They would broadcast They'd download the screech? all the screech and the data and that sort of thing. And if you were at home, you could record it on your cassette recorder and then you could you'd have your software, whatever the software was that, that they downloaded. So, but it got me thinking, we think of radio as one thing. Radio is music. Radio is entertainment. Radio is news, talk, sports, etc. Is there something else that we could be using the bandwidth that radio's got to distribute instead of that kind of content? Because we know that you know radio as an entertainment medium is beginning is fading. You know, there's no getting around that. So what else could we distribute? So well, I asked the devil's advocate question. What could we distribute, Keith? Well, we could distribute data and call it next-gen AM. <laughs> you know? 
We, or we could, we could do micro targeting. <laughs> or or, or next, next gen FM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we FDM. could do micro targeting on TV spots that also had a next gen FM or receiver. Oh, this is brilliant. This is yeah, brilliant. we could and we could update the software in your car automatically. It would be awesome. It'd be great. No, See, this yeah. is the thing. We have the same discussion now that we had on Next Gen TV over the past three years. Yeah, you know yeah. what? What? What could you do with it? And and the truly the takeaway is one thing: it's food for thought. Because if you think about it, we think of radio just as one thing. And it originally, don't forget that radio was telegraph, you know, and the concept of sending voice or music was really radical. First of all, they didn't think you could do it. You know, the consumer didn't think. And then, well, who's going to listen to it and what would you send? So we got to, you know, I just am, am asking people to think what, you know, what kind of ideas could we come up with? And sadly, we have guys that are just taking their AM stations and just turning them off. Turning them off. Right. Right. And we talked about that last week. Oh, well. Yep. Well, the NAB goes to battle for Cumulus. We'll have more on that in a moment. But Keith, you're more of a print guy than I am. You've had more experience on that side. And it just seems newspapers can't get a break. They're close to dead, and now, now what happens? Well, apparently, the, you know, the, they're getting the double whammy currently. I mean, like they needed more whammies. Uh, and that is that the you know, cost of newsprint is rising, like the cost of everything. And that's gone up. And, and they sell newsprint by the ton. So it's, it's gone from $520 a ton to $720 a ton. That's a massive hit. The price of ink has gone up. And certainly the price of labor has you know, continued to rise. And most print centers for newspapers are heavily unionized. And not only do they have huge wages and benefits for the union guys that are running those print operations, and I have all the respect for those guys because that's really, that's the dirty work of producing a newspaper, is printing it. And it's a, it's a fascinating process to watch. I mean, you watch these rotogravure printers running off, and you've got these spools of newsprint, and out the other end comes this newspaper. And how it happens is amazing to watch, and it's a, it's a miraculous engineering job. But it's super expensive. And so, um, you know, you have newspapers cutting back all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it's because the last thing these newspapers want to do these days, because it is so expensive, is to print and distribute a newspaper. And I bless the, the driver who drops my Wall Street Journal off every morning in front of our house, the printed version in the plastic bag, because it's, it's such an anachronism for how one consumes news these days is that hear that splat at about 4.30 in the morning up against the front door. <laughs> I, I know the world is okay because my paper got delivered. To which most people say, okay, boomer. You know, it's like, whatever. You, you are <laughs> such an analog guy, Keith. Such an analog guy. Getting a newspaper. Well, but but that's also another factor is think of the distribution. You know, I think you and I talked about this at one point. When I was a kid, we lived in Chicago, and I delivered newspapers. I was about 11 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I delivered seven different newspapers on my route. Every house had at least one or two papers. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that was the distribution. And, and, the, and, of course, the number of newspapers has gone way down. But now you're not delivering to every house. So the economics of delivering home get even worse. And fuel costs go up. They just are getting, they're just getting killed. Uh, you know, what ends up happening is, is that they, they centralize their printing operations. So that's what the, a lot of these papers have done now. So the San Diego Union Tribune, 
great paper in San Diego, long-time you know, citizen of the city, bringing news and holding public officials accountable. Well, they get bought by the same company that owns the LA Times, Tribune. Now it, Tribune sold it to Patrick Sun Shung, so now it's regionally owned. But the San Diego Union-Tribune, one of the top newspapers in the country, is printed in Orange County at the LA Times Print Center in Orange County. And then they ship it down I-5 through Camp Pendleton every morning, you know, at O'Don 30 for distribution in San Diego. So everybody's kind of sent, they're centralizing print operations, sharing printing, and they're cutting back on the number of days they actually do print a paper, right? So, you know, you've got some examples of people that have dropped editions entirely, print editions entirely. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the latest papers to drop, they dropped Saturday, which apparently is the lowest advertising day of the week. And I, I didn't know that. I would have thought Saturday would be fairly robust. But uh, the Tampa Times now announced this last week they're going to three times a week. McClatchy has dropped all their Saturday papers. But there's an interesting thing. They're pushing people and saying, well, go see our digital content. We'll update the content there, the news and, you know, the high school sports from the night before and that kind of thing. But the thing that I find interesting is if you look at Gannett, Gannett has an interesting metric. They generate $1.2 billion in print revenue and $101 million, so about a little less than 10% in digital revenue. Mm-hmm. So we have this thing you and I have talked about forever in our traditional media, which is we step over analog dollars to get digital dimes. And that is literally it. It's uh, 10 cents on the dollar. And it's very hard to support the news organizations, not to mention the legacy pensions, the legacy print operations, all the legacy operations that newspapers have. So, Yeah, well, they have, the, they have these boat anchors of pension obligations um, that, that, that sometimes are greater than the value of the paper. Many times are greater than the value of the newspaper itself. Right, We've seen this right. throughout the industry. So they just keep going on you know they just keep trying to generate money what they're trying to do and it's obviously very frustrating because if people search the web they 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 find a story they want to read and all of a sudden it's behind somebody's paywall and the idea for the newspapers they're trying to transition their print subscribers to become digital subscribers but once you go online and you're searching digitally for stories you're so used to getting it for free that now you got to pay six or seven bucks a month to get to, 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 to subscribe to it again, or you know, or more, uh, you know, unless it's the New York Times or the or the Wall Street Journal, uh, these local paper digital subscriptions are a tough frickin' sell, and it's tough to replace the much more expensive print subscriber fee with a discounted digital subscriber fee, and so they're 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 getting they're getting to, they're getting toasted in two ways. They're losing ad revenue every day because of circulation declines and readership declines, and they're losing print subscription revenues, Right. and they can't make either up, either of those up digitally, or, well, they, they're trying to, but it's going to take longer than they'll, than, that the rope's going to run out. They're going to get to the end of the pier, and they're going to go off the cliff because time will have run out, and they won't be able to digit get their audience converted to digital subscribers in any big numbers uh, significantly enough uh, to, to survive. They're all proclaiming that they're going to get there. They're all saying we're going to get this. They all want to be the New York Times or the Washington Post, but frankly, you know what? They're not. They, you need a national fan base for that, and you're not going to get that at, at, at papers like the LA Times or the Seattle Times, which you know uh, you know has its own struggles. So. 
Well, I think the other thing that that we may see, and we've seen this, we see this a little bit, I think, with radio. What they, what you know, the investors call an ice cube theory, and that is, you just let it melt slowly, and you pull the cash as much cash out of yep. it as you can, and then someday you just walk away. You know, so there, that's that's entirely feasible that that's what we'll see on the, on the print side. Okay, NAB has been representing radio and TV stations for a long, long time since the the twenties, and. <laughs> You know, sometimes they just they do stuff and you just blink and go, really? Why are you guys doing that? There was a recent fine that the FCC imposed on Cumulus for an EEO violation. They apparently had improperly posted their EEO information on their website. Now, they fined Cumulus $32,000 for it. Cumulus said, well, it was a bookkeeping error. We had a business manager who left and the new business manager didn't understand and Yada, 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 yada. So they had lots of excuses, which, you know, neither you or I were really very, very sympathetic to, frankly. We thought, you know, Cumulus is a big company. They ought to be able to handle that. Yeah, at the time, we were giving them them a hard time at the time. We did. What were you guys thinking, you know? And it's still a legitimate thing to give them a hard time about. But the fact remains that, that the NAB now comes to the FCC and says, this is not fair. And they their point is, hey, no harm, no foul. Nobody complained. Nobody didn't get a job. Nobody said I missed the information. It was an administrative screw up. And truly, the NAB said, so what? Who gives a damn? And these are administrative issues. They do nothing to advance policy, which is a really a, a, a important thing. But you know what? The FCC, this is always the, the, the issue. You can't <laughs> measure policy. You can't measure EEO compliance. You can't measure all of this, but you can measure the paperwork and you can measure the stuff that gets on the on the website. Mm-hmm. And it's just so petty. So the NAB comes up and says, "Hey, this is not fair." Yeah. And you know, you got to say, "Okay, that does fit." What bothers me is that I have seen over the years the FCC slap small market broadcasters, particularly radio guys in obscure little markets for paperwork flaws, failing to get a piece of paperwork filed in a proper time, failed to publish something in a proper time. My favorite story is the FCC fined a guy $5,000 when they had the main studio rule where you had to have your main studio in the city of license. He was across the street from the city line, just across the street. (laughs) I don't think he even knew he was out of the city limits. I'm sure he didn't. And they fined him $5,000. Well, this is just crazy. Just crazy. So anyway, that's my that's my epistle on on the NAB. I know you've got a couple of thoughts on it too. Well, I, I, well, glad I'm good for the, good for the NAB to come to. I know that you like them to be more equitable in terms of who they support when the FCC comes down on uh, NAB members. You know, the, the FCC exists to play gotcha with broadcasters, and they do it in all sorts of fashions. You know, your 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 signal parameters. Your, your, your city of operate where your studios are, your, oh, interviewing, your, EEO. your yeah. EEO interviewing records, uh, your public file. You know, we, remember we used to do ascertainment interviews? I, you know, as a rookie sales guy, I, I spent most of my time doing ascertainment interviews with public leaders here in L.A. and was fascinating, but it had nothing to do with being a more effective radio station or selling more ads or getting more listeners. It was just we needed to know what different organizations were thinking. Okay. And everybody else in the market was doing the same interviews with the same people. It made no sense, but it had you had to do it 
Otherwise, the FCC would fine you, and that's their existence. If the FCC isn't finding these problems, these mistakes, these little oops, gotcha, then they go out of business. I mean, what's the FCC good for? They, well, I don't think the FCC is good for much anyway, but certainly in this case, uh, good for the NAB, Thirty-two grand for this minor offense. Where does that come from? And, uh, you know, this is one market in Cumulus. This isn't the company. This isn't Cumulus corporate. This is one market in Georgia that had this issue, and boom, they came down on them. It's like, what the heck? You, just go, you know, come on. But that's the FCC for you. And, you know, by the way, Pandora, Spotify, all your streaming, Netflix, Sirius yeah, XM, uh, all the, you know, Netflix, YouTube, those guys are, they have nothing to do with the FCC. The FCC has no jurisdiction over those, those digital streaming services. None. Zip. Doodah. But over your local radio station, yeah, they do. They can shut that station down. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's an unfair world right now that we have this government agency that controls so much of what terrestrial broadcasters have to do to comply that they can't compete. If, if, if YouTube had to answer to the FCC like CBS does, YouTube would, 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 would have the, uh, the lobbyists go crazy, and six months from now, the FCC would be dissolved. You know, they just would never put up with this shit. But the, <laughs> but the broadcasters have taken it up the you-know-what for over 100 years because we're licensed by the government. It, the frequencies are, you know, granted by the government. So, guess we get the FCC. There's your uh, there's there's your point for the week. <laughs> well said. Have well I flogged said. that hard enough? Okay, good. All right. Yeah, all right. Well, next week is going to be fun, Keith, because yeah. we're going to be actually physically together. We've never done this before. We're going to be down uh, in Palm Springs at the KGA Studios. KGA is a new LGBTQ formatted radio station that uh, Brad Fur recently bought and is doing a great job. Good, really good success in the in the community. And uh, so we're going to have some fun doing it there. We'll see. We'll interview him and we'll just, it'll be fun to be in a radio station rather than sitting in our own studios. And a reminder <laughs> for everybody. Well, basically, that, uh, you know, Brad's the only station owner that'll allow the media insultants on his property. So, yeah. you know, you know yeah, our friends we were, at Alpha have locked the door. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of companies that we're on the, you know, do not enter list. You know, it's like, oh, uh, yeah. So, so thanks to Brad, we can do our shows in the same room, you know, and, and also, you know, we'll, we'll spend some time talking to Brad, which would be fun. I haven't seen him in years and it'd be great to catch up. And, uh, and, but also, you know, we've done this show for uh, what a year and a half coming up on two years and we still haven't uh, been in the same physical location when we've done yeah. this show. So yeah. uh, who knows what hijinks will take place and how crazy our dialogue will be when we're actually sitting across the, uh, the studio table from each other. Should be fun. Should be fun. <laughs> you can get this uh, podcast on any of the podcasting platforms. And, uh, of course, uh, the video is available at our Media Insultant Showcase uh, on Vimeo. Media Insultant is a production of InTown Media, and we love any of your comments. And, uh, Keith, sponsorship is still available. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'll see you in Palm Springs next week. You go have a good weekend, buddy. Okay. Remember, it's a dry heat. <laughs>